0: Welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast, episode 60, Rodri the Great. History tells us Rodri was son of Murfin the Freckled. History also gets confused about whether his mom was his wife, or any number of likely Game of Thrones references which we could fit into this section. So, let's start with the information we do have. Murfin became king of Gwynedd sometime around 825 AD. He was king for a number of years, and only really was the ruler of Gwyneth. He died in 844 in a battle which we have no context for and no real information about. So much like most of this part of Welsh history, everything's kind of vague and up in the air. The one thing we do know, or at least we suspect to be accurate, is that five years before he becomes the king of Gwyneth, Rodri was born. And Rodri moved from wherever Murfin had been, and if our guesses last time we talked are correct, then likely Rodri was born on the Isle of Man, along with his father and his grandfather had lived there when they migrated to what is now the island of Anglesey and became the new king, or in this case, crown prince of Gwyneth. We don't know a lot about Rodri's upbringing. We don't even know for sure who his mother was. There are two different genealogies that say two different things. This is why it gets confusing. Uh, in one instance, Nest is his mother; in another, it's his wife. And I'm pretty darn sure that even back then, your mother and your wife are not typically the same thing. So my guess is is that likely we have yet another confusing situation with Welsh history and the genealogies, which are written well after the fact. And in this case, are usually written by descendants of Rodri, and they're typically trying to link various things together. One of the uh, driving forces behind this is the idea that Nest was a princess of Powis, and that that would link Rodri's family tree into Powis's family tree. Of course, the problem with that is, and as we've mentioned before, primogeniture does not work through a female princess. It has to be a crown prince. And so the concept that you would use the princess goes back to a problem we've run in through, through his father's reign, which is that the links to these kingdoms are very nebulous at best and may not even actually exist in actual fact. What we do know is about this time, as Rodri ascends to the throne in 844, he is still dealing with the outcome of Mercian domination. It's one that's coming to an end very shortly because the Mercians are about to collapse in the face of the aggressive new kingdom below them. Well, not so new, but much more aggressive than they have been, uh, Wessex. Wessex at this point is now starting to rise up to become the king and the kingdom that we know they will be in the future in the next couple of hundred years. They are. The, the father of Alfred the Great has ascended to the throne. They are starting to move forward, and they are starting to achieve dominance and dominion over much of the old English kingdoms. At the same time this is happening, of course, we have the Viking invasions are in high demand and going on quite Clearly, in 1850 and 1855, there's invasions in Wales as well as in the Isle of Man, as well as in England and Northern Ireland and Scotland. And all of these places are being attacked constantly at this point, both by the Danes and by the Norwegians, um, which get called different things depending on where you're from. The Irish generally called one the Dark Danes and the or the Dark Vikings, and the other one the the Light Vikings, referring to I think their hair. And so these two different groups would conflict and, of course, have different agendas, different things they were trying to do, different allegiances. And there is some belief amongst scholars that the Vikings from Norway had allegiances that were built up with the Welsh and that it was typically the Danes that the Welsh ended up fighting. I'm not sure. This is, like I said, the contention of academics, and I don't know enough about it to say one way or the other. What we do know is, is that In 1855, there's a major battle with the Vikings in which Rodri wins. And we know that after that, the Vikings aren't a big thing for a while in Wales. They continue to be a big thing overall, but not in Wales as much. And in the meantime, they're taking on fatter, wealthier easier targets in the scatterbrain kingdoms like Northumbria, which are collapsing under their own weight of their own ineptitude and tendency to have an implosion on who the king is. So these kind of things will influence what's going on in Wales, because as Mercia decreases in dominance and as Northumbria decreases in dominance and falls to collapse and then the Vikings move in. The Vikings don't have as big of an agenda with Wales as the previous English do, at least not at this point. They don't need the Welsh. They don't need their stuff. They've got lots of fat, happy farmland that they're eating up in England. And slowly but surely after the raiding comes the settling and we will have the great heathen army arise to cause trouble for the English for the foreseeable future. And because of that, most of the Welsh kingdoms are safe they're generally allowed to grow on their own. And in some ways that becomes a problem later on, because what we have is in England, we have an outside force that is pressuring them into unity. Mercia becomes dominated by Wessex. Kent becomes dominated by Wessex. Uh, Sussex becomes dominated by Wessex. All of these areas are all of a sudden now under a larger domination and slowly but surely will form into what we know of as the kingdom of England. And This idea of unity built by pressure from outside forces never really works in Wales. It never really unifies the Welsh. They come close at times, but for the large portion, I mean, some scholars contend there were points where they unified. But at least at this point, if we look at the Welsh history, it doesn't happen they don't really unify in the way that we look at unity. Certainly not under Merfin, certainly not under Rodri, nor a lot of his descendants. And in fact, what we'll see with Rodri is he acquires, through a numerous different ways, actual kingdoms. But he is not, and we will see, able to continue that dominance past his lifetime. The slight problem that the Welsh have is that they're a little bit more equal in how they share things out. And so Rodri's sons, probably to keep the peace among them, give each other the opportunity to control the kingdom, which then divides the kingdoms back into yet another division. And that is the fundamental problem with the Welsh unity. It's only really happens because of one individual, one king, And when that king is gone, the unity disappears. They fall back into their old habits, their old kingdoms, their old strategies, their own tactics. And in the process, it makes it much easier for the English to force their dominance upon them because they can divide and conquer. And this problem will continue for the Welsh all throughout this whole situation. And we have to deal with this as we go forward historically. And in the case of Rodri the Great, what he does do is he takes over as I said, he took over Gwyneth. He either marries in or inherits. I think likely he married into the kingdom of Powys, and likely there was no king to take over Powys, which is part of the reason why he becomes the king there. It's part of the reason why suddenly he can control a massive amount of territory. The other thing he does is he moves forward after getting Powys he starts to move into other areas. He starts to contain more southern kingdoms into his group, and by the end of his reign, has dominance from Gwynedd in the north all the way to the edge of the former kingdom of Carregidion in the south. This control that he gains obviously puts him in a position where he's got a majority of the major kingdoms in Wales. He will eventually, through inheritance for his sons, even claim the kingdom of Dovid, And we'll see much more control come to the descendants of Rodri, and it will influence Wales from now until effectively the end of Welsh independence, this appeal that they'll have, this dominance, and really the story that they'll tell about themselves. Because the one thing that Rodri, Mervyn, and all of their descendants do is actually tell their story, first through the Historia Britonium and then eventually in many other ways, forms, and fashions right down to the end of the kingdoms of Wales. This factor will actually allow us to understand much better the history of Wales at this point, have a much better understanding of where things were going and how this worked. Of course, this problem still is it's all tilted by their own bias. So make no mistake, we're looking at people who are not giving an account in fairness, but giving an account based on the fact that they're trying to plump up their particular king as the head of all of Wales and should obviously be such, and it'll actually be his. If you're like me and eating healthy is a bit of a problem, let me bend your ear a little bit to eat stress free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart. Kato, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggies. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfasts, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors Ready-To-Eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. Also, if you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. Look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. Head to factormeals.com welshhistorypod50 and use the code welshhistorypod50 To get 50% off your first month, plus 20% off your next month, that's code WELSHHISTORYPOD50 at factormeals.com slash WELSHHISTORYPOD50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: grandson, Owen, who does a lot of this and develops a lot of this after we've had these little additions here and there and genealogies and all these things. And we will see as we get to the 13th century and as we have more appeals to the church for the dominance of Wales on certain issues, as we have appeals for all sorts of different things to all sorts of different people, All of these claims are going to become important and they're going to be placed in the context of this perspective that Murfin's family dominates the agenda of Wales and that they are trying to gain that dominance in Wales in such a way that they can influence things from here on out. And Rodri himself will attempt to do this through marriage, through the birth of children, who then themselves gain inheritances, which include other places. And increasingly, it puts Rodri and his sons in a lot better position when it comes to dealing with the English. And by the time Rodri uh, is killed and ends up dying in 878, he will give his sons four separate kingdoms, which cover most of Wales. Of course, the south, particularly the extreme south, end up f- combining to become Morganu, And uh, they remain separated. And all of these smaller kingdoms will actually fall into the lap of Alfred at one point because of their fear and concern of these others Because Rodri and his sons will continue to try and push their agenda, to try and push their way into the rest of Wales, to basically finally and completely unite the kingdom into one kingdom. And we can look back on this as a missed opportunity. I think if they'd have been able to do it, had they been able to succeed where so many else had failed, you would suddenly have a true king of Wales. And you would have a true king of the Britons, if you want to go back even that far. They never really did. And really, the realm never gets into the South enough to be justifiably called a kingdom of Wales. Rodri does very well. There's no doubt about that. And the conflicts that that are created are created because of him, rather than because of it being done to him. And he... Is able to win battles against the Vikings, which the English certainly weren't doing at this point. The English were losing a lot of these battles, as they just couldn't make their head get around how to deal with the Vikings properly. And in fact, he has a fairly famous victory in 856, when he defeats uh, one of the Vikings known as, known as Gorm. And this will be a famous and hard-fought victory for him. And he'll continue to fight them, and he'll fight them in a number of places. And in fact, he still has a number of victories against them. In fact, there are two victories in 872, which are given in a different couple well, three different names are brought up. One is Bangalau, Bangaloo, and Banilau, uh, where he was purported to have defeated the Vikings on Anglesey in a hard fought battle. And the second was at Man- Manigig or Enigig where the Vikings were, in quotes, destroyed. So he has massive victories against them, important enough to be recorded in a book where the tendency was to be very concise, to be very limited in what you said and the amount of information you gave up. And so the fact that they went to the bother of actually recording some of this stuff, especially in a period where we don't know a lot about these kings. I mean, Rodri gets probably the best press of the pre 10th century Welsh kings, but the reality of it is he is still very, very small on the radar compared to, say, Alfred, who has an entire book written about him by his uh, clerical leader. And the fact that that leader was Welsh and had his own perspective against the sons of Rodri certainly helps our opinion on what was going on in Wales at the time. Uh, Unfortunately for Rodri, though, he would end up being killed in battle, And some have suggested his death may have happened in 877. Some have suggested as late as 878. Nobody really knows. And in some cases it's recorded as 873. And with these kind of construction problems, it's very difficult to know exactly what happened. Uh, But effectively what the Chronicle of the Princess tells us is that him and his brother Gudrad were killed during a Saxon invasion. The Saxons may even have been from Mercia. There is some suggestion that it may have been Wolf who led the charge against them. Of course, this was a year after Rodri had been expelled from his own kingdom due to a battle against the Vikings. And, of course, the early successes of his house against the Vikings turned on itself, and he ended up losing that battle, which he would then reacquire, only to then be killed In another battle against what apparently were Saxons. We don't know exactly all the details uh, and some say that his son Anharad's victory was over the Mercians in the Battle of Conwy a few years later was a god's vengeance for Rodri which would say that it was likely the Mercians that were the culprits. We don't know, we're not entirely sure, and in his passing, probably one of the greatest unifiers to that point of the Welsh kingdoms passes away. And while his sons will lead the charge, and they'll be very good at coalescing into a pretty darn good group of kingdoms, the house would never be the same. It would never have that one individual for a very long time that could lead until we get past the norman invasion and that i think fundamentally is the problem that wales has there's just not the unity there and without that unity it becomes easy to pick them off and unfortunately it becomes easy to divide them against each other as will happen when wales in its whole falls to the english kingdoms and So when Rodri dries, he leaves four sons, who then shared the land amongst themselves. Uh, In the traditional accounts, Angharad became the king of Gwyneth, uh, and then, of course, leads the house as the kin leader, kin head. Um, But at the same time, a number of his brothers become fairly key figures in the later movements of those house and their descendants will become critical to how Wales as a whole develops, including establishing the Kingdom of Deuthbarth uh, in the creation of laws that are respected and, and looked at even today as important. Uh, the agreements between Deuthyd and Alfred only come about because of the pressure of Rodri's sons on David, And we're going to get a bit more into this as we talk. We're going to talk a little bit more about how that occurred and how basically the King of England, as he would be then, very short, well, as would become the case not long after Alfred, was effectively the head of Wales through the fact that they owed fealty and loyalty to him thanks to his ability to control them and eventually get them all under his purview. And this will continue right up until the final conflicts between Llewellyn and Edward I, some almost 500 years later. And so next time when we go into the past this point and we move closer to the end of... Welsh independence will see that this problem that we've been talking about, this division that cannot be united, will continue to create major problems for the Kingdoms of Wales, and will become consistently problematic for them as they try and unite. It's not like there wasn't an effort made. The problem becomes is that once you got it united, you have to keep it united. And there has to be a recognition that that next king, the descendant of you, the king of Wales, must be recognized as the successor. And typically that's where everything falls apart. And typically that's where the struggle is. And this problem, which is happening all across Europe at this point, has crippled Wales's ability to defend itself as an entire group against the incursions, the political machinations, the ability of the Saxons and the Vikings, for that matter, to effectively dominate Wales at different points in time and control the agenda in ways that even the Welsh don't necessarily always understand is happening. And this problem will continue to be an issue. And unfortunately, at this point, it's when Wales has its own internal problems that it becomes easier pickings to take out. And we'll get into this, we'll talk more about this as we get into the 10th century, and we'll certainly cover a lot more about some of the big kings that are descendants of Roger the Great, because they are very, very important to the foundation stones of what we consider to be Wales going forward into the next millennium, and how they influence the Welsh right to this day, to be honest with you, in ways that I don't think necessarily everyone understands or everyone knows. But i will have to wait till next time. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your thoughts. I do read your emails. If I don't always respond, that's on me. I will tr- always try and respond. I appreciate the tips, the tricks of trying to pronounce things. I do try and take those into account. I try to appreciate your uh, suggestions. And uh, I will say thank you very much. And I very much appreciate it. And until next time, everyone, take care and have a great day. Bye-bye.
1: Edge of the Abyss Creations is a proud sponsor of the Welsh History Podcast, your one-stop shop for unique jewelry, paintings, and other crafty creations. You can find us at facebook.com slash Abyss one This has been a Distractions Media production. For more info, you can check out everything we do at distractionsmedia.com. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions.